0: drinking water is purified in a 60-second cycle. Find out more at MeBottle.com.
1: Welcome to the Truth to Power show in Ridley, Free I'm your host, Vijay Nathan, and with us today is co-host, Jessica Hines. Welcome, Jessica.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you. Uh, on the line is Julia Noblock, who was born and raised in Germany and has lived in France, Portugal, and Argentina. She's a former documentary filmmaker, a member of the Sweet Action Poetry Collective, and a recipient of the 2017 Brooklyn Post Fellowship. She currently resides in Brooklyn and her debut uh, poetry collection, Do Not Return, was published in July with Broadstone Books. Welcome, Julia.
0: Hi, thank you for having me. Good morning.
1: Thank you. Good morning. So why don't we start with uh, Do Not Return and uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the themes and the ideas expressed in the book and 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 uh, how it was published and all this kind of stuff. Thank you.
0: Sure. So you just, Want to give me like a want me to give you an overview of
1: yeah, yeah, for the listeners, just to give an overview of what it's about and what the themes are, and then you can go into like how it came about. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, well, so the book is called Do Not Return, um, and ultimately it is more about returning and continuing life threats and narrative than the title may let on, however, it is also, um, about you know losing identities um losing places losing love there's a lot of loss in it um and a lot of it's based on on my and um, my on my own personal life story but um i've tried to bring it to like a different more poetic level so that it's not just merely my own biography um and i will say it's um it's set on like three different um, level so there's this um, search for there's the search for identity there's the search for geographic places that speak to me and then there's also the search for um, a home in spirituality in love um, yeah all these all these themes and they are recurring throughout the book um, how did it come about um, I've been writing poems more seriously, over the past five years, um, there are a few poems in there that I've that I've written many years ago. But I've really been focusing on writing poetry over the past five, if not only three years. And um, at some point, I thought I have enough poems to to look and see how they would work together in a long collection. And I tried, and I put a manuscript together, and um, I sent it to a few presses, and one of them was Broadstone Books, and I had seen on Facebook. Um, a fellow poet who had just gotten published with them, and um, she's from Romania, and also writes a lot about immigration, um, experience, and and um, these kind of things. And I thought if they like her work, they might be interested in mine. And um, I send it in, and um, and then now the book is there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. It's so interesting when you think about like uh, walking that fine line between it being about you and it being about the, the, the collective, the community, and. Kind of connect, making connections between your own life story and what we might call the poetic, and um, and what you think readers would connect with, and such. So tell us a little bit about walking that line, and and where you found the um, inspiration to kind of flesh out perhaps your story into a more, how would you say, like a more universal themes, or how how does that translate to poetic? Well, um, I
0: think. At least that's true for me. The first impulse to write a poem is because you have a very personal reaction to something, and um, maybe it's happiness, maybe it's pain, um, maybe it's you know everything in between. Um, so, so the act of creating and writing for me definitely comes out of a, from a, from a personal, very subjective um, field. But I. But I believe that there is a lot of universal themes in in all the experiences every individual is making in their daily lives, and um, and so in terms of I find to make it poetically interesting, there needs to be some sort of transformation um, that that can speak to to more people, so that it's not just about oh listen and look to you know read what happened to me, but um, also trying to, to to bring it to Onto, to, to another level um but maybe you can specify the question a little bit
1: sure, more. yeah sure. i'm not yeah, really yeah. entirely sure yeah no i was just thinking in general your techniques of you know making like a per, moving from the personal into the into sociological or or, or what you meant poetic which said the poetic kind of some way in which readers can connect and to flesh out that but I think you did that. So that's good. Yeah, I think um, yeah. I mean
2: on this this is something that I'm very interested in since you know my main focus is with screenwriters um and playwrights mm. and TV writers and this this space where you know you have to be so specific in your plot but completely universal in your story. Mm. And I yeah. and I think that that's something that it's it's easier to do in in you know narrative dramatic writing compared to you know I also I started with poetry and i did find it harder with my poetry sometimes to to find that place where it could be both you know really specific and personal and universal compared to how how much easier it is to do in in theater or film but i do think that the more specific the uh, the plot is essentially it it's actually becomes easier to become universal in the story i don't know if that translates at all to poetry because this is the first time i'm I'm thinking about it in that form, um but I don't know thoughts anyone
0: yeah i mean i I mean definitely I think what you were saying is that um the more when when you were saying the more specific it gets the more universal um ultimately it will be i totally i totally agree with that um um, if you give one specific example, it may not necessarily even be an example that other people will relate to, but because it's so specific, it makes them think of something that's very specific to them. Mm-hmm. And so the feeling and the emotion and, um, yes, sort of translates to them instead of when you're just saying like something more universal. So, yeah. so I can totally relate to what you were saying.
2: Well, yeah, because I think, you know, one of my most effective pieces or the one of the the lines that I love the most in my work is, you know, when your hand accidentally grazes mine in the middle of the night, when your hand accidentally grazes mind, uh, mine, uh, I become furious. I hate your mm-hmm. accidental affection. And I think that now that I think about that, like, you know, I don't know if anyone else has ever had that experience if sleeping next to someone where it's like you haven't really been intimate for a very, very, very long time. But mm-hmm. I think everyone's felt that like everyone has a moment where they wanted more from someone and that person was not able to give it to them. And so even yeah. though I'm taking this one oh, specific yeah. relationship where, you know, I will, we were living together and it would have been like seven months since I think we'd even like touched each other. And, you know, the truth of that, where I was like, you know, accidental affection is even worse for me than, you know, purposeful effect, I mean, anything. And, and that was a piece that like people responded to like, like everyone really responded to Mm -hmm. that line. And so I think that, you know, if anyone's listening and, you know, I'm always trying to like gateway drug people into writing and especially poetry. Um, But yeah, just be super specific. And I think that takes a level of vulnerability and and honesty and that, you know, that is where that universal connection comes to is when the reader, the listener feels, oh, this person's opening up and and that allows yeah. the listener too. Yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So,
1: uh, in your one of your watershed moments, you put down, you wrote down was uh, some. Of the, why don't we talk a little bit the watershed moments in your own life and and uh, career? Um, you mentioned some things about um, uh, going to Argentina and mm-hmm. trying to move there or trying to immigrate to Argentina, and uh, why don't we talk a little bit about that and a little bit about your um, some failures that have informed your process.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, well, so I think ever since I've, I was a child, I've always felt... I mean, I grew up with loving parents and everything, um, but nevertheless, there was always something that, that I felt that I didn't belong to where I was supposed to belong to. And um, so all my life so far... Um, I've tried to live in different places and I've tried to to find in other cultures something that would that would fill a void or an emptiness that I had that I was feeling ever since I or an alienation that I had um, when I was young. So um in Argentina was one of those places and I I had been going to Argentina as a freelance journalist a few a few times for the duration of maybe 2 or 3 months um, and I was I was I was I was doing radio um features for German radio from there and then at some point I thought um I'm just going to immigrate. Like I mean I knew friends there. I thought that I might have um that I might have um places where I could, you know, start working, have connections and um and I just took a leap <laughs> and I just moved to Buenos Aires and um and um well, I moved back after almost two years because a lot of things just hadn't really worked out, um, and um, I was growing a little frustrated um, by a lot of political stuff that was going on there. Um, and um, and then I moved back again. Um, and I think I think this trying and accepting and the failure and um, using it um, to using the experience to ultimately come to New York and staying there despite it was even more difficult and frustrating than being in Buenos Aires has certainly sort of, you know, um been very um insightful and also informative of some of the poems that I've written. Also, there are actually quite a few um Buenos Aires poems in the in my in my in my new collection. So, um it's sort of been intertwined the personal and um and the poetic in that in a specific sense
1: cool well, thanks thanks and um uh, what specific works or uh philosophies influence you put down Nietzsche's uh example and, and in what way did uh did Nietzsche's work influence you
0: yeah, well, I also added Camus later, and, um, yeah. and something completely different to tourism. Um, so I think Nietzsche. I put Nietzsche down because because I understood the question to mean something that in some work that influenced because there was the word philosophy in the question. So I was yeah. thinking of that, and I um, I um, I really loved taking philosophy classes while I was in high school, and I and I actually majored in, in philosophy. I have a master's in philosophy so but Nietzsche was like the first um work that I was introduced to when I was like I don't know 14 or 15 and and he always it always came with this caveat of he's like this ruthless um egoistic um super person and I found something completely different in his philosophy I've Thought he was first of all like a very unhappy and sad person who who struggled to to make life meaningful and to give people and to empower people and probably also himself and he wrote these most beautiful poems that are so full of like lyrical insights and 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 I, I just I just felt this this person is a solitary person who is who cares way more about his his fellow people than than his common reception sort of like um uh you know makes you think mm-hmm. so so this this impulse and that I found in his work was that it was like actually like a very affirmative and positive um and also very, very poetic, um, in, in terms of like how he talks about time and space and, and returning and, and all these kinds of things. So that, that sort of influenced me a lot. That along with Camus, which I write at first at the same time, um, how we are all, it sounds so cliche, but how we are all like in this together, like what Camus took from his existential, from the existentialism that Sartre had sort of founded, um, Is that we just really depend on one another. Like, um, and not, I don't mean this in that we're taking advantage of people, but just that we are, like, sorry, this is just to reframe. So Sartre was saying that the hell are the other people, right? Because every action that one person does is going to influence the, the, the life and the existence of the other person. And Sartre took it to the extreme that it's, um, that it's very, um, Difficult, and that it makes us resent other people, um, and that we are never free, right? Ultimately, but Camus turned it around and and sort of like said, yes, we are, we may not be free, but we, um, but we depend on each other, and we can make something very good out of that. Um, and I always saw some sort of relation between Camus and Nietzsche, and it had influenced a lot of how I thought about. I thought about my own life and my relation to people, and also how, when I just, you know, observe society. Yeah,
2: yeah I, 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 um, I will confirm and validate that. I think I had a very similar entrance into philosophy. Um, and I also think that Nietzsche is someone who, well, I was introduced, and they're like, "Oh, he's so depressing," yeah. and it's like, right. "Oh, he's so dark. He hates mm-hmm. every like." emo before emo existed, type of, you know, type of a thing. <laughs> yeah. And right. and I read his stuff and I was just like, this dude's a genius. Like, yeah. I was like, to me, it, it felt like honesty. And it, I was just like, right. I don't think it's, de- I was like, I, I think choosing your meaning in life is not a depressing concept, you know? And mm. so I was so confused and like, and and everyone was like, why do you, they thought that I was depressed or something, but I was like, no, I mean, and I actually find that there's, you know, that's how I also I entered into studying Buddhism, because I felt like there's so much similarity in it. And, um, and then even now, later on, now that I'm, I'm more into like the Stoics, but I still think it's the same thing. Uh I think Nietzsche and Marcus Aurelius are saying very similar things. It's just one is doing the negative and one's doing the positive sounding version of it, which is like, there is no meaning. And the other side being like, oh, we must, you know, we're going to choose our own meaning. And I think that the combination of, you know, those things philosophically for me has been really important because, you know, I can't just do all the positivity because, you know, I think if hell is other people, then heaven is other people. I just, yeah. I really do think that everything is, that is the opposite is the same. And I remember the most profound revelation that I had was, I was super depressed and I was sitting in this diner. It was 5am. I'd just gotten off of the shift working at coach check and i was just like writing 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 and i was like it doesn't matter where i am like i can be unhappy anywhere i will be unhappy where anywhere i will be and then i suddenly realized i was like oh well if i can be unhappy anywhere in any situation then that means i can be happy anywhere in any situation and that the two sides of the the both of those you know points of view suddenly i realized they were the same and it was you know a quite a lovely moment for me that i have to remind myself of yeah. often
1: i would also say that in order to get to the point where we can choose our meaning that we have to first dismantle the absolutes first dismantle you know their slavery to the absolute, slavery to the the idea that there is one meaning that there is one mm-hmm. path that there is one uh way in which all human beings must conform to and in that process of dismantling we realize that undermining or dismantling the uh, absolutely. then we we come to a realization that we're free. And this is a mental journey for all of us to take that we've realized that we're free to pick a path and and choose our path and and find a path. So um, yeah,
2: yeah, always beware yeah. of the single narrative. yeah, exactly, you know there's exactly, such a yeah. danger. I think there's a danger in everyone's supposed to live one way. and that I also think though that that applies to the individual because I've gotten stuck in that place where it's the there's like one story of myself and what my life is. and Even though I recognize that no one else needs to live according to my life, you know, I I think sometimes we get stuck on a we stay on a path because we forget that, like, at any moment you can take a right turn and go somewhere else. And I think, you know, that's what was exciting to me reading, um, you know, like, oh, wow, this is a person who has lived in so many different places. This is someone who is making the conscious choice to, Mm -hmm. you know, not be on a path just because that's the path that they're currently on. And I think that's such a wonderful thing, because I think especially when we start to get into our 30s and 40s, it almost feels like, well, we've already spent so much time on this path. Mm. We might as well just, you know, uh, uh, continue on. And I just see a lot of my friends and colleagues becoming very, very unhappy. And I'm like, just take a left turn somewhere, you know, start over. Um, I don't know if like to me, when I think of, you know, getting to a new city, it's like this wonderful fresh start. And so I I was wondering, you know, with with each of these different places that you lived in, did you have that feeling of being able to kind of start a new identity or a new path?
0: Um, Yes and no. Like the more often I've done it, the more also I notice that there is a pattern and that something the sentence that I when I was younger always rejected when people said oh you always take yourself with you wherever you go like you cannot just like run away from yourself like these kind of these kind of um sentences that I always thought no there's that's that's just that's just like whatever a cliche thing um but ultimately um I think there is something true to that. I mean, while of course I can totally relate to everything you said about okay, I'm going to take a new turn and I'm going to make things do things differently than I've done um, the previous time, and this is this is this place speaks more to me um, in terms of what it offers, maybe on a sensual level or on like just a like I'm I react a lot to landscape and culture and landscape and nature and. climate in general um so there have been moments of course where i can say oh i can become this person i can be this person and i've certainly always become a new person in a new place but i haven't become a different like i've added things it's Mm -hmm. not that i shed everything that i was before and then suddenly i was this completely reinvented new person um it was more like a spiral like i I may have changed certain things and I have added new aspects of my own personality or was able to, 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 to live them more fully. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I think I've always been the same person Mm -hmm. and I, I've certainly, you know, learned and I've, I've, I've learned from mistakes and I, 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 you know, have made experiences that, that have, that have changed my, my opinions. And, All these things, of course. But I think I'm still the same person.
2: Well, I think it's certainly, you know, I think a lot of people are afraid to meet themselves or, you know, look at themselves. And so I think that if you've lived in, like, a wide variety of cultures or landscapes, and if you've had, like, a variety of jobs, like, I think the more... The more you can put yourself in different places and notice what's the same in every single place, like exactly. that. I feel like it's the better you get to know yourself. Yeah, yeah. and and I think right? I I think I was just like, oh yeah, that's what that is. Is that you know, uh, every time I go travel for like six weeks at a time to like foreign countries, there's always that moment where it's like I meet myself again. Where I'm like, oh yeah, it doesn't matter if I'm at home at Brooklyn or if I'm back with my parents in California or if I'm in Tokyo. Like, there's certain things that will always be there and and it's that's why I think travel is so important because sometimes I feel like I get caught up in my in the New York City energy and I'm like oh I need to I need to meet myself again I just want to you know where am I in all of this mm-hmm. and you know I do think that that's why people get scared to move you know yeah. or just scared to put themselves in these different scenarios because so many people have a hard time just sitting with themselves and you know coming from the meditation background you know which a lot of meditation is sitting with yourself yeah. and not having distraction not paying attention to the distractions that are moving you from keeping you from knowing yourself which yeah. you know i still participate in i still binge watch you know hulu and netflix on a regular basis and that's mm-hmm. my form of you know avoiding being with myself sometimes But I do think that that's, like, when I, whenever I meet people where I'm, like, they travel around a lot or they've had many different jobs, I'm always just, like, wow, like, you must, you must really have a strong sense of, of who you are, no matter what.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, also I wanted to get into, before we get to a poem, um, I wanted to get into a little bit of how Judaism has been influenced on you and has impacted you, and then we can get to a, a poem, but, um. Well, don't you talk a little bit about um that and then uh I uh, will yeah.
0: Yeah, um I mean I could that that's a, that's a vast <laughs> it's a, like a vast um field, but um so I wasn't born Jewish, so I, I converted, but um I uh, when I was a child, I was I was very open to spirituality or even religiosity um religion and um but I grew up in a very secular Catholic family um I mean just Catholic on paper and um and so I lost this access or openness um pretty soon, and um then all throughout my teenage years and and in well into my twenties, also obviously. Reading Nietzsche and Camus didn't really help <laughs> um, any any openness to religion or spirituality. I was like proudly calling myself uh, atheist, and um, but I was always but I always kept um, the Bible with um, well with the the Hebrew Bible, with Christianity refers to as the Old Testament, and I and I always I always took it with me. Always, like whenever I moved for whatever sublet to the next, when I was in college and then in grad school and whatever, I just I was like always wanting to to hold on to it for whatever reason. And then fast forward. Um, so also at some point I had I had learned that we had like like a very remote Jewish ancestor, which in no way makes me made me Jewish in any in any way, but it had a big impact on me. And um, and that was like sort of in my in the back of my mine and then in Buenos Aires when I lived there I I met um I I was introduced to to, to, to studying Judaism and then in New York I did I, I really like delved into it after a lot of, you know, challenging experiences in my life and I and I felt the need to find something to hold on to. Um and um I thought now is the time that I'm going to study this and um the influence it had on me, it's like it has opened, it had re, it has like rekindled some sort of openness for awe about life and the universe. And like, it has really opened interest in like being open for spiritual experiences and um, having more respect for just the wonder of life yeah. <laughs> just, um, maybe sound trite, but while at the same time, and that was always what I was missing in, 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 in Christianity and no offense to anyone. I was just like my personal reaction. Judaism is at the same time, so grounded in the here and now and in, in, in earth, in, in life on this, on, in this life. Um, that the combination of both, like the awe for something that you can't explain and grasp um, and that fills you with just poetic love, maybe, for life and the world and other people. And at the same time, also have your feet on firmly on the ground. Um, that has helped me to, to reassess a lot of things in my own life and in my own personality, I guess right right
2: yeah i mean i think that poetry and religion and science are all
0: all so th- close th- i mean
2: it's it's all just it's just three different ways of trying to find meaning and understanding exactly, in yeah. in a world that we understand very little of because as much as we have learned and developed you know and as someone who studies the brain you know and there's so much to read about the brain neuroscience is an incredible field but at the same time there's still like whole things where people are like we don't know you know <laughs> there's um there's you know and so i think that you know uh the more that i study art and the more that i've you know participated in in understanding sp- different spiritualities and and investigating in the sciences the more i'm like oh my gosh like we're all just doing the same thing we are yeah. all just like we yeah. just want to understand and we want to find you know some form of meaning and i think that Whatever brings you into that, whether it is a science or spirituality or it is art, um, you know, I think it's just keeping from going mad.
1: Uh Right.
0: Exactly. And it all complements and and they all and they all complement each other, Mm -hmm. I find.
1: So why don't we listen to a poem or two or two poems from the uh, collection Do Not Return um, that has already been released. Right. It got released last week, I think.
0: Um well it was it was it was published in, in, in July actually. Oh in July, okay, yeah. I had I had the big book launch party in September because I wanted as many people as possible to attend and so I did it after Labor Day. That's right, yeah. Um but um but it's been it's been out um, yeah. um since July. Yeah.
1: Good, good.
0: Um so do you want me to read the poems?
1: Yeah, I read two poems. And then we'll... All right.
0: So I actually, um, I will say, like, the first one I'm reading is actually not from the book, but it, it's like in preparation for this conversation, I thought it, it fits very well. And had I written it before I send in the manuscript, it would be in the book. <laughs> mm. um, so and also because uh, the Jewish New Year Rosh Hashanah is, um, is, is coming up next week. And this is a poem I wrote about Rosh Hashanah or the New Year last year which is why it's called 5,779, which was the year that's about to end. The new year falls from a languid sky over Ocean Parkway, crimson light on pre-war bathroom tiles. One week ago was Labor Day. Without lifeguards, we are summoned to remember the world, the dunes, the marsh, the waves, things unsaid, unreturned, sweat, water, salt, We are enjoined to live truth in freedom, in sun, in sand, in wind, to restore the balance, name, place, and deed, to free the slaves, regain ancestral land. In search for our germane lives, we wipe foggy mirrors, wanting to find something else, a sense of fate, seeing, not seeing, as the sun sets, together, alone, we know the seasons change, come back. So, and um, the second one is also going to be a Jewish-themed poem, actually. But I chose it because we were talking a lot about, I think, responsibilities also that we have towards other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, the um, this poem is called "Erev Yom Kippur," and it. Um references some of the lines that in 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 liturgy are set at the onset of of yom kippur when when people are trying to release um vows and 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 promises that they've made to god um but I've sort of like turned it around saying you cannot really release it because you are obligated to. To your responsibilities, um, to the collective of human people. That's not. That's not. A, that's not. That's not to say that, that 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 I'm refusing this liturgic aspect. It's just that that's what I'm playing with, um, just as a background. Um, so the language comes from comes from a prayer, um, and I'm just turning it around, and it's called Erev Yom Kippur. To those who sit around my table, what you vow is vowed. To those who promised, I won't forget. What you bind is bound. To those who said, I love you, what you swear is sworn. A crow lands on the lawn in Bloomfield Garden. As a girl, I hear my mother say, you jumped like them. It made you laugh. A silent windmill overlooks the valley. My head hurts among the masses at the wall. Answer me. That's it.
1: Thank you. Thank, thank you. That was very beautiful. I liked it a lot.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Um, so why don't we go into some of the themes of um you know, one of the questions was about uh, how you interpret the personal political and truth to power and stuff like that. These kind of theme thematics of the show and thematics of obviously of um you know kind of empowerment and uh, you know finding the connections with themes of our conversation, I find connections between Personal stories and universal stories. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you understand from those uh, those mantras or those phrases, and uh, and what, how you might connect it with your work?
0: Well, I guess that's why I chose these two poems, um, because even though they they come from from this religious um, background, um, like that's that's where like the language is coming from. And, um, but, um, they have to do a lot with life in a collective of people. Right. Um, so, so I guess what I think is that, that because we are part of a, of a societal covenant in a way. Um, so because whatever affects us also affects the energy of, of the larger of the larger group, and um, so I think a lot of like what, whatever energy that I have and whatever what, whatever action that I do is going to is going to affect other people. Um, which is not to say that every every everything that I like every every just like personal preference should be. Should potentially be interesting um, on a political level, uh, or 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 um, or that um, I need to write about all of all of these things. But I think we just need to be aware that that um, that there is a transition between the personal and and, and, and the larger collective yeah. so that we are in this in this in this in this in this ongoing exchange and in that and going back to what we were talking about earlier about the specificity of examples when we write um you know for film or poets uh for poems um that there is just something that people will be able to relate to and that just sticks with them and um I'm not saying that every everything that is that is subjective and individual and personal should necessarily be um, a political like theme. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, there there certainly is there's an there there's a trend there there's a connection. I I think
2: sometimes speaking to that, um, it reminded me of the fact that I feel like a lot of suffering comes from forgetting that everything that we do has an effect. Mm. Um, right. you know, and and just I I know for me definitely when when I feel when it feels like the things that I do do not have an effect, that's when I have like that existential suffering even though even if I intellectually understand that that's not true. You know, there's so much I think pain that comes from that that feeling of disconnection from the whole which is You know, a disconnection from the self.
0: Right. No. Absolutely. Yes. Also, I think exactly. Just to that point, um, when we, when we, when we, when we don't, when we don't take care of our own personal needs, we are also going to forget the needs um, Mm -hmm. of of the larger group, right? Um, Because if we become disconnected to ourselves, um, then also we are, you know, more likely to be disconnected to other people. Um, so it goes both ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah it
2: reminds me, you know, in my yoga teacher training, which I did in Portugal, by the way. I, oh, I love right. Portugal. <laughs> I've been there like several times. Um, oh, my God.
0: And it's been it,
2: uh, Yeah, I've been uh, uh, everywhere. Um, okay. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've
0: been everywhere, too. Yeah.
2: Portugal. I mean, it's, like, it's a small country, but there's something just... It's ma- not that <laughs>
0: difficult.
1: Yeah.
2: There's right. something... I mean, the people there are just incredible, and there's something really amazing about you know, sitting on those steps leading into the water and being like feeling the energy of like for how long people sat there and thought if you go any further, you fall off the earth, you know, yeah. just that this is the end oh of, of, of I you know. know, I just you can feel that and you can even feel it in the poetry um, there. But oh, yes, in my yoga teacher training, the thing that one of the things that I connected to so much that was really incredible was this you know, this feeling of um, the spirituality that, uh, that, you know, that connection of finding that part of you that is also that spiritual connection to everything mm-hmm. else. And, um, you know, I grew up Mormon, but not really following, not, yeah, I didn't really believe in, in mm-hmm. the full Mormon religion, but I was raised in it. Yeah. And, and so I similarly kind of rejected a lot of spirituality until I started, you know, hearing that where I was like, oh, I like this idea where I'm just like, there's this bigger energy that is all of us. And, and you know, in yoga, we use, you know, these moving meditations to just feel, find that part of us that is, you know, that that bigger whole, that that greater energy that we ourselves are, you know, in, in some form, I don't like using this, but it makes the most sense sometimes for people is that like that we all are you know, God like that. There is this single Mm -hmm. universal energy Mm. and, you know, when you practice meditation, you know, in this format that it is feeling that connection of, you know, the, 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 I, that is the we.
1: Yeah. And I think there's a lot of confusion about like when we think about the, the, the seed within us, the potentiality to be in my view, it's like the potentiality to be divine, the potentiality to reach that, um, Going to Godhead or something like that. Um, that it's a view that we take on so that then we can empower ourselves and, and feel the power of source, uh, coming through us, flowing through us. That, uh, it's not our ego that's speaking, but rather our, you know, our deeper sense of connection to the whole. And we, we call that the Buddha seed in Buddhism or, uh, the potentiality for us to be a fully enlightened being or, or reach that highest goal. For others and for the in service of others, and 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 kind of negating or, or replacing our ego sense with the sense of community sense that we're we're looking for our fellow man, our fellow human beings um, as being the primary object of our affections, primary object of our attention, so that then we can thrive within this community. Uh, and that and it's interesting to think about uh, switching our sen- sense of cherishing from ourselves to others because there's infinite number of living beings out there and there's only one ego that exists, but we're all connected and, you know, in a fight against one against infinite, you know, probably we're going to lose, you know, Um, so it's better to switch our charging to others so that then we can then be a benefit to others and we can serve others and we can help others. Yeah.
2: I think one of the things that I've spent probably in a a strange amount of time, excuse me, thinking about, is, you know, when I was younger, my my sisters would always pick on me and they'd be like, oh, you're so egotistical. And uh, I was always like, I was like, no, I'm confident. And I think yeah. confidence, there's a difference between right. ego and confidence. And there's a difference between ego and and greatness and knowing yeah. that like we, I mean, we are great. We are m- magical. I mean, yeah. like, I, I think that the the way the human body works and the capacity of what we are capable do of doing, both with our minds and our bodies and 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 you know, the fact that we are divine and the fact that we can birth, we can create not just like living human beings, but we can create art, which if you look at how many species are on this planet, like it's it's kind of phenomenal. And I think that sometimes people are scared to to be confident and to own their greatness because they don't want to veer into ego, but they don't realize I think there's a lack of universal definition Of what ego is, because, you know, in because I really got down to studying it, um, not in a Freudian sense, but more in like the uh, general psychology or or a neuroscience sense, which is this this ego is this labeling an impermanent state as a permanent state and then trying to defend it at all costs. Mm. So we see this with writers where a writer will get the ego of I'm a good writer but yeah. that's impossible because we all know that when you write, some days you write good stuff and some uh-huh. days you write bad stuff. Yeah. A lot of times the oh, bad yes. stuff leads to the best poems eventually. Yeah. and so Eventually. Eventually, yeah. if you do the work, if you put the work yeah. in. And so, you know, when I'm working with people who are suffering from resistance or writer's block, I'm like, we have to... I was like, you're like, the, the people who beat themselves up the most, the people who are actually... Like, feel the worst about themselves are the people that have the biggest egos. Cause I'm like, that's yeah. why you're not willing, that's why you're not writing, is because you're so your ego is protecting that you're a good writer, which means if you think you're gonna write something that's bad, your body will resist writing because yeah. your body does not want to fail. The body will protect your ego of good writer. And a great way to keep your false identity of a good writer is to not write again so that you never have to look at your bad writing, if that yeah. makes any sense. Yeah. Mm. And so I think that if you start thinking about ego in that way where you realize like, oh, you know, um, like I'm terrified to sing in front of people and mm. it's because I have ego. I want to be a good singer. I want to be someone with a good voice, which means I am. My ego is stopping me from singing because in order to sing and to sing well, you have to sing poorly, you have to warm up your voice, you have to like experience that. And even though I know how to do that in writing, I'm not brave enough and my ego is too big with music for for me to engage with that. And so I think that it's an important thing to think about that it is sort of natural for us to build ego, but that ego is really this labeling of an impermanent state and protecting it as if it were permanent and it's almost always sitting on top of the thing that we feel the most insecure about yeah and so i think that's like when i see people with ego i don't see people with confidence i see people with like self so much self-doubt that they require the ego to protect the thing that they're most scared of but i think underneath that fear and self-doubt is ultimately like you know love and joy and you know creation of something so it's kind of layered but you know, so I don't know if that makes sense to anyone. Else.
1: <laughs> yeah, what do you think, yeah. Julia? What what are your thoughts on that? Or what are your thoughts on Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I mean I, I, I really like this difference between between ego and confidence. Um and I also like the the take that ultimately um underneath the ego sits sits, you know, the potential for love and 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 creation and um and i think yes i mean i think as we as we talked about earlier like when we talked about adding new aspects to our personality i think this is part of the same process um to gain confidence and to sort of like rid yourself of this, this 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 emanation of ego that that sort of um um inhibits you to to find that right so so and I think when I when I was using the spiral and I was saying like I'm, I'm often making the same experiences but I'm making them in different ways mm-hmm. um, I think that's also part of something that ultimately leads to gaining more and more confidence and getting rid of or like trying to minimize the the ego um, that ultimately makes us appear insecure um, which I certainly have not mastered like it just happens often um, still but um, I'm becoming more and more aware of it and um, so yes so everything this distinction totally um, resonated with me and um, and again going back to what we what we said earlier um, sort of about um, Nietzsche's somewhat desperate and sometimes misplaced um, way of how to encourage people and to empower people to live their own truth, because I think this is this is related to what we are talking about right now, and this is what what I saw him trying to do, and he wasn't always successful in the way he he conveyed it, but but I think, and that's also what um, I was thinking about about truth to power, right? It's um, live, be able, be confident enough to be to live your own. Your, your, your own way. Um, you have to be very courageous and strong to do that, um, and um, you have to also be able to say, "I'm not going to accept this and that authority just because it's presented to me as an authority." And 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 and, and that was another thing that he was very much concerned about. And um, I think all these things are very much connected that we're yeah. bringing up over the past like conversation. Yeah. Well,
2: well, it's coming to mind also just thinking about you know, uh, authority and the elections coming up and, and, you know, and yep. just having the confidence, you know, cause I think questioning authority requires confidence, not oh, yeah. ego, you know, and I just think yeah. that it does require bravery. And I feel like whatever, you know, whatever power exists in your life, whatever authority exists in your life, just having a healthy level of questioning that i think is is really and like and like just checking in like ever so often because i think sometimes we can you know slip backwards into you know and and just knowing that like you don't just question you can't just question authority like once and be like i did it now for the rest (laughs) of my life it's okay you know it's kind of like going to the gym you know i'm you know and i it's like it's like yeah like if you go to the gym Like I go to the gym once a month, you go to the gym and you lose that pound and a half and then you go gain it and then you go lose the same pound and a half (laughs) and you're just, you know, you, you know, and so I do think that, you know, having a healthy confidence to be able to on a daily basis not tear apart like your life but just question yeah. and just meet yourself every day because i think we get in this zombie fog right you get in yeah. the zombie mind where you just go on your automatic loops and you're actually going off of your unconscious you know uh habits yeah rather than being really really present and kind of questioning even your unconscious beliefs at any moment or your unconscious habits at every moment.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. It's everything's a practice that we have to kind of get used to, uh, and, and respond to exterior circumstances in a way that is in line with and in, and in, in harmony with the, um, ideal. And that we ultimately, the authority within our own mind is the one that we're trying to wrestle with. And not necessarily exter- for the first step is to understand yeah. that the, the sensor or the, uh, um imagined uh carry with, carrying with us that aspect of that authority telling us not to think this or not to think that we need to free our mind first and then we can exterior will follow and that we'll be able to um kind of uh deal with um the exteriors as they come up in harmony with our position and place in society you know that we you know i think a lot of times we think about um you know people who are trying to go too quickly, too fast into this, uh into this exterior without first going through steps of reconciling their interiors, mm-hmm. you know, their interior in their inter- inner minds. And then they, they end up, they end up having an impact, but what kind of impact will they have, you know, is the question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So will they have a positive or negative impact or will they have long lasting impact that will bring the rest of us together with them, you know?
2: I, yeah. I definitely think that that's something that I wish I'd learned at a much younger age, this mm-hmm. idea that, you know, because like, I, I think, and I think everyone who writes, everyone who writes and dreams, I mean, we all get into writing when we're young, and we all think, oh, I want to be the hot young writer, you know, I want to yeah. be, you know, and we all are, you know, I remember being like, just so needing to be a professional writer, that it didn't cross my mind that like, one I uh, did. I was I prepared to succeed once I got to that level, and that was one of the most difficult experiences in my life. Was becoming a full time paid writer and realizing that I didn't actually have the skills I needed to do that on the level mm-hmm. and to keep it going and to not completely lose my mind. And you know, so for for there's so many writers where I'm just like, if if you know if you're not there yet you know, just it means there's something else that you need, you know, you will break in. I mean, be happy that you're not breaking into an industry that is very difficult before you're ready. Um, and use this time to train, to prepare, to, you know, to actually know, you know, like I, I got my first big gig and I'd only done art. I'd never really, I'd never had to deal with my artistry, not showing up and then using craft to bridge, you know, um, and so you know i think for all of us we should just be practicing you know on a daily basis and just knowing that like we cannot choose to necessarily we cannot control like if we're in that industry or not but we can control what's happening in our mind and the yeah. training that we do so that when that opportunity comes we are ready for it
1: yeah good, Yeah. Good. so uh, do, do, uh, i'm gonna start some announcements um Radio for Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. whose mission is to provide a free and open platform to uh, our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily we on donations from listeners like you. So, to help support our mission, we invite you to make a one time donation or monthly pledge at slash donate, or go to slash shoot to power to sponsor this particular show. Every cent helps us continue to stay on air, so please support independent community media by pledging whatever you can afford. All contributions are tax-deductible to folks sent to law. Again, it's the slash donate or slash truth to power. Um, after more than a year of dreaming, researching, experimenting, late-night conference calls, and early Saturday morning meetings, the ME team is happy and proud to present to you the ME bottle. This double-insulated, reusable stainless steel bottle disinfects water in 60-second cycles, utilizing UVC LED technology, and is 99.99 efficient against E. coli, a single charge via micro-USB lasts up to 30 days, and the bright LED display lets you know when water is ready to drink. Join us in bringing clean water to all. Raise your bottle and drink to you and me. Find out more at mebottle.com. Um, finally, uh, the New Orleans Musical Musician's Clinic provides medical care to musicians and performing artists in the city of New Orleans. They offer occupational and comprehensive um, health services for musicians, performers, cultural workers, and tradition uh, bearers in New Orleans. They provide these services regardless of insurance status or ability to pay. Please find out more information, how you can support the Roots of All Music at New Orleans MusiciansClinic.org. Julia, do you have any last um, uh, announcements or readings or places you want to direct the uh, listener to?
0: Um, Sure. Um, So I am currently sold out of actual copies, but we are reprinting. Um, so, if anybody is curious to check out the book, they can um, go in their in their bookstore of their choice, their local bookstore, and just order it. Um, um, it will be delivered to them um, quite soon, so the title is Do Not Return. My name is Julia Knobloch. Um they It can also be ordered um, via my publisher. Um, You find it online. You just go Broadstone Books and then just look for the title and um, it's easy to Google. And I have, in fact, um, two, two readings. I have more readings coming up in November, but some of them are not confirmed yet. So the next reading that I'm having is actually for Great Weather for Media on October 6th. That's a Sunday at Parkside Lounge from four to six. There's an open mic and the other featured reader is um a poet um who I admire a lot and look very much forward reading with him. His name is Baruch November. His um collection Bar Mitzvah Dreams just came out um earlier this year. So um that's one and then um later in October I'm going to be reading in the bar um, and Park Slope, um, details to follow, um, wherever on this website. But, um, yeah, so there's a lot of um, things happening and November is looking nice too in terms of lineups.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And Jessica, you wanted to give announcements?
0: Yes.
2: Well, as always, you can find out more about meditative writing at meditativewriting.org. And I do have a screenwriting workshop coming up. So if anyone's interested in that, you can visit meditativewriting.org and, uh, yeah, or follow me on Instagram. Um, it's the only social media I really do, and that's uh-huh. at meditative underscore writing. Um, it, it's not beautiful, though, but there's good. There's it's uh-huh. all it's all words. I know I've, it's funny that I use the most visual social media to do all words. <laughs> everyone's like, <laughs> why? Everyone's like, why aren't you on Twitter? And I'm like, I don't know why. Twitter drives me nuts. Yeah. and I know yeah. as writers, we're yeah. supposed to be on Twitter, tweeting constantly. I'm not. Yeah, great great yeah. and so i was just like i can't i i you know it, it's it's the instagram for me so but thank, thank you. you so much this has been awesome
1: thank you we'll go out yeah, with uh, elton john song i guess I, that's why they call it the blues uh thank you this is episode 92 so we're heading Woo-hoo. barreling towards episode 100 on 11 11 probably it's going to be so i uh, hope people continue to listen every monday at 8 a.m thank you so much julia
0: Thank you so much for having me. Um, That was a pleasure.
1: Thank you. Don't wish it away
2: Don't look at it Like it's forever Between you but honestly, said that things can only get better. And while I'm away, dust out the demons inside, and it won't be long before you.